and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Bimmer, NFL editor for SB Nation. With me, as always, two very fine gentlemen, Danny Kelly and Stephen White. How are you boys doing today? Doing well, doing well. Excellent. That's excellent here. Are you ready for um, the, the big game coming up this <clears throat> week? And by that, I mean the Pro Bowl, of course. <laughs> I thought you were oh, talking sorry. about the Super Bowl. You're not allowed to actually say Super Bowl, though. Wait, is this? No, we're licensed. We're media. We can say it. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> we don't have to pay to use the term Super Bowl. We're cool. <laughs> we we're cool. don't have to say big game. That's right. The big the game. Super Bowl. <laughs> I think we're mostly immune from the um, NFL's uh, legal arm for now. I'm sure they'll find a way to get it to us eventually. The next GIF we randomly tweet. <laughs> the lawyers will slap us down um yeah so yeah there is a big game coming up the super bowl obviously i i was just horsing around a little bit with the pro bowl talk but uh but the pro bowl is coming up and the pro bowl is still a thing that the nfl does and despite some talk about killing it a few what was it two or three years ago there was some discussion about killing it off completely never materialized and it's back. I mean, I think the reasons for this have been fairly well covered. It's still, you know, it's not going to draw Sunday night football-like ratings, but it draws enough ratings that it'll still get better TV ratings than the World Series or or a, a lot of other, and not to denigrate those sports, but, you know, a lot of other major sport sporting events for, uh, for anything else. So the Pro Bowl isn't going away anytime, but the interesting thing that happened this year, what did they say? Like 133 players have come and gone through the Pro Bowl roster already? Yeah. It's like uh, 7% or something of the NFL. <laughs> I mean, it's like a huge, huge record. Yeah. I, I guess a very people just strong... don't want to do it anymore? No. There's a lot of injury people pull out, and then I think there's a lot of people that just don't want to do it anymore. I mean, this is the Pro Bowl, man. I mean, do you guys ever watch the Pro Bowl? I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in years, to oh. be honest. Because I, I can't go without football for that long. And, and it's kind of my, my you know, that one thing that lets you know that football is about to come to an end. Yeah. I have to watch it every year. I'm not really into it, you know, not like I'm focused on anything, but got to at least have it on. Yeah. It's the last bit of football that we're going to get. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of thing. I always, like, I have it on in the background, but it's like I'm not watching the play-by-play. You know what I mean? That sort of thing with it. So I guess I maybe like if you look at it, if you look at it that way, I'm part of the problem. But does, well, the I mean, thing is, I don't know when people start taking it so damn seriously. Like back when I was playing, it was a reward for guys to go and basically have a good time with their families. Yeah, and then around until the fourth quarter, and then turn it up a little bit. So you know, it's usually going to be close because nobody's been playing all that hard. Yeah, and. You know, you get to the fourth quarter, you turn it up a little bit, and, and you go home. Yeah. But now it's like, I think it's this whole culture of, of betting on everything. And people want everything to be fucking uh, uh, competitive. This is a baseball. Guys' fucking uh, bodies are beat up yeah. by the end of the season. And now you're telling me that I got to sit out here and try to avoid fucking J.J. Watt another time? Fuck you. In a game that <laughs> Kiss my ass. So you got to figure, man, these guys are like, for who, for what? Truly. And I just wish people would calm the fuck down. It's an exhibition game. You don't have to fucking watch it. You definitely don't have to pay to go see it because it's in Hawaii where most people aren't at. So just if you don't like it, leave it alone. But for people who just need a little bit more football, let us get just a little bit more football. Let's stop giving a damn who wins or who's giving all this damn effort. I could give a shit less. Yeah. Just you know, throw the ball up a couple of times. Let me see some DBs make some plays and, you know, Megatron go out there and, 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 and moss somebody and I'm good. Well, you know, and like one of my favorite, like when you go to camp and you watch practices in August and early September, like one of my favorite things is always when they do the seven on seven stuff. Cause it's just kind of like, it's, you know, it's the, 
like we always talk in the regular season about how people just kind of watch because of fantasy football, but that is sort of the, I mean, you really distill it down to that essence. This is a chance for you. You're going to go and watch Drew Brees throw some balls up to Odell Beckham Jr. and watch him score, make one-handed catches and score touchdowns in a game where the score doesn't really matter. You just want to see some plays. Well, I mean, who the fuck is going to complain about that? Yeah. A lot of people evidently. <laughs> Well, it almost seems like the NFL has pushed an overreaction to it because, like, the players' union was talking about doing away with it and the ratings weren't as good and and the media, you know, has kind of made fun of it a little bit and people don't, you know, everyone says they don't watch it. But so they put all this extra effort into, like, trumping it up and it makes it, in a way, kind of makes it like, well, it just turns it into what you said, Stephen. And and let's be real. They're doing that just to fuck with the NFLPA. You yeah. Know, oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. Just like they were saying, they weren't going to bring it back to Hawaii either. Yeah. It, it's just a little petty ass bullshit to mess with the NFLPA, and a lot of fans are falling for it. Yeah. This basically what it boils down to. Because look, they like you said, it's not Sunday night football ratings, but they you'll get the ratings out there. Everybody complains about the Pro Bowl, and nobody wants to see Tyrod Taylor, James Winston playing in the Pro Bowl, and then Monday we'll find out the ratings were bigger than anything else on TV. Yeah. Exactly. Week. So, you know, don't tell me you, you are. This is the easiest fucking money the NFL makes, right? Yeah. They don't even really have to do a whole lot of production and all that. They're going to get a lot of bang for their buck. So all this complaining is just disingenuous to me. Yeah, exactly. No, and I remember that they were even bitching about, like, the cost of doing the Pro Bowl in Hawaii. It's like this league makes <laughs> ungodly amounts of money every year, and they're upset because they got to fly, you know, some of the more popular players in America over to Hawaii to play the game. I mean, come on, that's just. Are they going to be? Are they ever going to be able to afford these these uh, goal line cams if they can't? If they keep doing the Pro Bowl, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the issue. Uh, Obviously not. <laughs> I, I, apparently, apparently, it's really hard to be an NFL owner. They just don't make a lot of money, according to what I heard in the process of uh, the making the arguments for relocation. So. It's it's hard out there for these these poor guys, these poor billionaires. So uh, yeah, that's that's always that's what really killed me when they were talking about the cost of taking it to Hawaii. And then there was an article out today that Hawaii, because of the just the the subsidies that they the NFL demands of them, Hawaii ends up losing about five million dollars on the whole thing when it's all oh, said. To- <laughs> oh man, right. right. If anybody got a right to be, you know, complaining, it's actually Hawaii. But yeah. the NFL tell it, oh, this is, oh, it's us. Oh, we, <laughs> we just can't make no money off of this. Come on, man. <laughs> For the damn podcast, because like I said, maybe it's not Sunday night football money, but you still going to have to pay to get your ass up doing a promo. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just nuts. <laughs> Uh, were there like among them, just among the players that are going to the Pro Bowl, whether they were first ballot picks or alternates, was any were there any kind of surprising surprises on there for you? I was kind of surprised uh, to see the NFL let Pac Man play at it. <laughs> <laughs> Made suspended for the damn Pro Bowl. Too. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> there, wasn't a, there wasn't a ton of surprises, other than there's just a shitload of guys. I think uh, I, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised about Jameis Winston, and so was I, to be quite honest. Yeah, and that's a knock on. That's not really a knock on the kid. It's just that at the end of the day, his, his <clears throat> statistics were not all that impressive comparatively to some other guys who were still out there and, and perhaps uh, could could have could have gotten that slot instead. Yeah, but again, that's a nod to the fact that. Um, popularity does factor in factor into these Pro Bowls now with the fan vote and everything. And so you're going to get those sometimes, especially since, you know, again, for most of the season, I think he was the leading rookie of the year candidate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I don't know. I guess another name that I was looking at the list today, the one that, like, the final rosters, you know, the one that mm-hmm. was kind of surprising. I saw, like, Britt Grimes as one of the corner, starting cornerbacks. I thought that was kind of surprising, but. Not well, that he's a bad quarterback, but... He had a little bit of a down... I wouldn't even say a down year. I'd just say he got fooled a little bit more than usual. But he still made some fantastic plays this yeah. year, man. Another one of those highlight reel 
uh, interception where he like jumped backwards and caught up with one hand or some shit. Yeah. So again, popularity factors in there too. When you have a guy who makes you know a play that gets replayed over and over and over again all week, people kind of you know they they start to think, well, that guy's definitely a Pro Bowl type guy. Yeah, for sure. They should let me. They should let Miko Grimes be the sideline reporter. It's just weird looking at the QBs, though. I agree with you guys about it. Like, this is the Pro Bowl. These are the QBs that are playing in the Pro Bowl. Russell Wilson, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, Eli Manning, Derek Carr, and Tyrod Taylor. Like, that's, I mean, those aren't bad players. And, I mean, obviously, Derek Carr is getting a lot better and, and really would be good and like down the line. Tyrod Taylor played pretty well this year. It's just a really, I mean, is that, those are the top quarterbacks in the NFL? It sounds a little like middle, aside from Russell, it seems right. more like quarterbacks right around the middle of what you would think is the elite, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the elite to, to, to worst, they're right there in the middle, but you would think the right. Pro Bowl means maybe a tier above them, yeah. but hey, yeah. a lot of guys get hurt, both of these, uh, well, at least... <laughs> And we can't even blame it on the Super Bowl because only one Super Bowl quarterback was actually elected to the Pro Bowl this year. Yeah. It's just it's not hearing you know, Manning not be a Pro Bowl type guy. But, well, um, you know, you got some playing in the, Pro, uh, in, in, in the uh, Super Bowl. You had some that was playing last weekend, and obviously they're banged up too. So, you know, a bunch of factors in there. But, yeah, that is yeah, a crazy yeah. list of quarterbacks. Yeah, <laughs> nothing quite as exciting as a chance to watch Eli Manning play again. And not that he's a bad quarterback, it's just not, you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, like, no, I totally know. I, wait till they expand the playoffs to buy two teams in each conference, <laughs> and then you won't have any, you know, everybody will be too pooped out to go to the damn thing. And I didn't blame, you know, it's hard to blame him. It's like, look at Tom Brady. It's like, would, would you want to go play? football this week after just getting the shit kicked out of you like you did last week i mean right and we'll talk more about the shit kicking administered to tom brady in a little bit here because i'm sure i do think that's probably why a few of you non-patriots fans have tuned in here i do think that maybe like a russell wilson was in the pro bowl a couple years ago the year before the seahawks made the super bowl the first time and um I think it was a lot of fun for Seahawks fans to see him throwing passes to like Vincent Jackson yeah. and some of these top guys. So like people around Seattle are excited. Like Russell Wilson, he gets to throw passes to Julio Jones and Hopkins and AJ Green, Allen Robinson. Like that's gonna be really fun. I bet you people in in you know Minnesota or, or you know Tampa Bay or whatever probably feel the same way. I think that'll be kind of cool. That's one cool aspect of it because these are some of the younger guys. You know, yeah, for sure. Getting to see them throw to the top top players and because all the other positions are pretty much like stacked i think like especially receiver like i think that's a good representation like odell beckham's and Jarvis landry mari yeah. cooper you know so i guess that's cool <laughs> yeah well and again like i say come back to it and just let it instead of you know trying to make guys play against jj watt like they would in week 10 you know let them go out there and have a seven on seven type of yeah with it, you know yeah. what i mean Highlight reels, just do highlights. I mean, it's like, you know, it'd be like a skills competition, except, you know, with <laughs> sort of like a game around it instead. But. Right. And it's basically what it used to be, to be yeah. honest with you. It really was. Yeah. It always reminded me of like Circus. Remember that old show, Circus of the Stars? Yep. No. Yeah, and, and, yeah I, I, remember, I remember what you're talking about. Uh, the Battle of the Stars, I think it was. Yeah, and they'd always get, like, the TV. Battle like, of the celebrities would come on, and they do, like, different challenges and stuff. That's what uh, the Pro Bowl used to always kind of remind me of. And uh, You know what? I remember this, too. They used to have they used to actually have a skills competition, and they used to have, like, a bench press competition, yeah. uh, too, because I remember because Seth was in it one year, um, back when we were playing together. But, you you know, you know so serious now. You've got to take it serious. Yes, we... Some of the, I, I think most of the coordinators have all been kind of tapped, but uh, a few assistant positions, and, and I think that's probably what the majority of the work going on in mobile this week for some of the coaching staffs were, is, is finding the, the other guys to fill out the, the group there. But one of the more interesting things that's happened this last week, I thought, was the Verbeel, Mike Verbeel thing with, with the 49ers. And, Stephen, you brought this up in our conversation before the show today. What what you mean? What did you take away from all that? Well, it's it's kind of weird. Uh, it, it doesn't really seem like anybody wants that gig. 
Just to be honest with you, uh, it seems like now they are actually targeting a different Texas assistant to try to bring in for a an interview for the defense coordinator position. But you would have thought that Mike Vrabel would have jumped at this opportunity. Listen, there's some talent on that defense now, some young talent too. Uh, they, they just uh, drafted the one kid up front. Um, you got Naval Bowman, who was playing out of his mind for most of this mm-hmm. year after he was coming back from injury. So there, there's some tools to work with there. And you just start to wonder um, how – I'm not going to say they're scratching the bottom of the barrel, but, you know, how low on their initial list of candidates for, for defense, defense coordinator are they going to have to go – to ultimately find somebody who will actually say yes to the job. Well, they finally um, went with Jim O'Neill, the Browns guy. Oh, yeah. And when you there Google you and when you Google 49ers defensive coordinator, no shit, one of the first things that comes up is the 49ers made a big mistake. Right. Like, no, nobody, uh, no Browns fans that I know of were, were sorry to see uh, no. that guy go. Right. And everybody's kind of scratching their head like, how did he get another job so fast? So you just wonder, like I said, it makes you wonder what it is about their job that wasn't very appealing to a lot of people. Because there, there's some confident guys out there that I would have thought would have been jumping at the opportunity. You know, I didn't think that it was a good idea for them to hire Mike Vrabel, but I also at the same time thought Mike Vrabel would jump at that opportunity. Yeah. Look, he's a young guy. He's played defensive line in the league. He's coached defensive line now. And I'm sure he probably thinks he's ready to be a defense coordinator. Go ahead. That's like when you can get in at a, the coordinator level, at that young of an age, it's almost guaranteed, unless you just totally screw it up, that you'll have a head coaching position waiting for you pretty soon down the line. Yep. So for him to say no, man, it, it just seems like there's some other stuff going on there. And, of course, we do know that, you know, with Chip Kelly's style, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, too, you wonder too, because I, what I, my recall is not a hundred percent here, but I'm just thinking back. Because didn't Kelly kind of? I mean, he kind of threw his DC under the bus a little bit in Philly. It seemed like this year, and maybe I'm misreading that or misremembering it, which is entirely possible because I can only keep up with so much Philadelphia Eagles drama over the course <laughs> of the year when there are 31 other teams in the league, but. It seems like at some point later in the season, the tension kind of started to bubble to the surface there with the defensive coordinator. That would explain a lot as to why they're struggling to find another guy, or they were struggling. And why they didn't bring him on, you know, Yeah. once he got hired. It, you know, if he'd have thought that guy did a good job, you, you kind of think he would have hired him out of San Francisco as well. They're both going to run three fours. Yeah. You this know, is, you know, this is, is it's exactly like when the the Rams under Fisher always had to search for an offensive coordinator. They always have to, you know, like people turn them, they always go after these guys and people turn them down, don't even want to enter. Like Hugh Jackson didn't even want to interview with them a couple of years back. And, and then they end up settling for some schlub that, you know, is already on the staff there that <laughs> they're insanely productive staff. Like Pat Shermer took the tight ends coaching job in Minnesota and didn't even interview for the offensive co- or the passing game coordinator job with LA. So that was kind of, it's sort of, it always strikes me as a similar situation. There's some coordinator jobs you probably just don't want to touch because you know, you're fucked no matter what. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to set yourself back. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I was just reading about Vrabel. sounds like he might think he's the heir apparent there to Romeo. Oh really? I can yeah, see so that. maybe that's why, or like maybe they're convincing him, you know, that Romeo Cornell is going to retire at some point, and he could be heir apparent there. But I don't know. <clears throat> maybe you it was know. just a personality thing. Vrabel's pretty fiery, you know. Yeah. And so maybe he was worried about, you know, working with Chip or what? I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that usually what in about a month, maybe around the combine, some of the the behind the scenes stuff will start yeah. to filter out a little bit, you know. Yeah, yep. it's always like that with the coaching stuff. So, stay tuned. There'll be more. Probably this weekend too, with all the you know all the people in. Uh, oh yeah, Mobile for the for the Senior Bowl. You'll mm-hmm. you'll start hearing some of those same rumors coming out now. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, speaking of the senior bowl, I haven't really, I mean, obviously I've been sort of uh, up to my ears in Super Bowl stuff all week, but, uh, cause we've got a lot of, a lot of stuff in the works, but, uh, I, so I haven't really had just a ton of time to pay too much attention to the senior bowl. So I was going to ask you guys, if you'd heard, if there was anything from mobile that was sticking out to you. I mean, I think obviously the first day it was like the Carson Wentz show. Yeah. Everyone was super stoked about him. I think that kind of died down the second day, but um, just because of his measurables, you know, like he, he was whatever he, whatever he ended up measuring out, he had really big hands. He's 6'5", 230 or something like that. And so everyone got all excited about that. <laughs> but I, I, I'm kind of like you. I've been so engrossed in Super Bowl prep. I haven't been paying close, close attention to the yeah. Super Bowl or to the Senior Bowl quite yet, but um yeah. Steven, has anything out of mobile jumped out at you? Have you had much time to to watch what's going on down there? I've only watched bits and pieces, uh, but Braxton Miller has mm, really yeah. seemed to make an impression. And uh, this is a guy that, you know, as I'm watching him, I'm just thinking, like, you know, what if he had been playing wide receiver his whole uh, uh, life? What what if he really understood the nuances of the position right now? Because right now, even though he only has been playing it for like one year, he is lighting it up at the senior bowl, especially in the one-on-ones. You know, it's a little bit harder for for the wide receivers to kind of stand out during team drill a lot of times. But on -on one-on-ones, you get to see a lot of stuff. it's, It's a drill that's set up for the offense to win. Yeah, But you get to see how... Guys get themselves open. Are they quick? Are they sudden in and out of their breaks? Do they set up uh, the defender and, and then make their cuts? And he's doing all that stuff really, really well. And, and you can tell he's still pretty raw at it. So um, yeah, I can see him shooting up some boards right now because everybody needs that slot receiver type guy. Yeah. And he, he seems perfect for it. He, he has flash really good hands so far too and, and, and that's the other word you have with a guy who's a converted quarterback is how good his hands are especially in traffic but man he looks like he has been playing his whole uh, uh, life and so you wonder with a couple, ye- uh, couple years of NFL type tutoring just how good he could be long term yeah yeah, and that was kind of, you know, that's the, a good example, too, of what the Senior Bowl, why the Senior Bowl is kind of important in the draft process because, you know, it's a chance for a guy like that to come out and, and show, because, you know, otherwise he'd have the Terrell Pryor stigma of, you know, can this guy mm-hmm. really convert to the position or not? And sure enough, he's he's getting the chance to do it, and everybody's everybody in the NFL is watching him do it, too. So that's good. That'll be interesting to see how uh, where he fares in the draft coming up this year. But, uh, we got a lot of time to talk about draft coming up, so we won't get too far ahead of ourselves. We'll also have a lot of time to talk about free agency, but uh, there is kind of a free agent story ha- that happened this week that I do want to bring up because uh, it's something we've talked about before here. Uh, Russell Okun, the uh, Seattle Seahawks tackle, due for free agency this year, sent out an email to all, well, I think it was all 32 teams, yeah, letting them know that his shoulder was going to be okay in about five months and he would be able to play. So just uh, just a heads up, he's going to be ready for free agency, everyone. Which uh, yeah. kind of makes you wonder if this whole not hiring an agent thing, <laughs> or at least maybe a trusted close advisor for certain things, was maybe uh, maybe maybe a little bit of a misstep on Okung's part. Yeah, because I guess uh, you know as Florio, Mike Florio pointed out. Now every team that he sent an email to is obligated to tell the Seahawks that they got an email from him. Yeah. So that that seems kind of like a pain in their ass, probably. Um, or I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but um, it just kind of implies that he didn't know that rule or whatever. Yeah. You know. <laughs> not that that. I mean, he maybe he did. Maybe the Seahawks. I guess the Seahawks could have given him permission to do that, and you know, he said that in the email. Or if he said that in the email, then they wouldn't be obligated to do that. But. Um, it just kind of reflected badly that he was doing this thing before the, you know, before there were any, he, it's like potentially tampering or whatever at this point. So, cause he's not, he's on the roster until March 9th and I don't know when the, is are they doing the legal tampering period again this year? Do they, they get rid of that? They shortened it from three days to, I think just like maybe two days okay. or one day or two day. But yeah, I mean, they shortened it because I mean, come on, everybody knows. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's, you know, the worst kept secret in America. Right. So anyways, it, it was interesting. You know, I think people are pretty skeptical about him representing himself as a, you know, as an agent. And so uh, I think it was kind of like people kind of look like he looked at it like he duffed it there. <laughs> well, and understandably so. It's a, I mean, the joke, the easy joke was the false start on if you got a false start on free agents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's had a really long injury history, too. Like, he hasn't played a real – he hasn't yeah. played a whole season. I think he's missed 16 games in five years, which isn't, like, ridiculous, but um, – or maybe it was – it might have been more. Um, but anyway, he hasn't played full 16 games ever. Um, and, you know, so – and he had another – he missed three games with a calf injury or something this year, and so – His shoulder's uh, been his biggest problem, it seems like, over the yeah, course of his he, career. He's, I think he's had more than one. Yeah, he's had more than one shoulder injury, and so I don't know. He's try, Maybe he's just trying to get out in front of it and like tell people, like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I understand from his perspective. But, yeah. But, but it's kind of one of those things where, like, you know, an agent would be kind of a helpful person whispering things in your ear about, yeah. hold up. I think this probably wouldn't be a story if his agent, if, if he'd had his agent do that, right? Because for whatever reason, it's now it's like, oh, Russell Okun, he – emailed all these teams like he's not supposed to do that but if it was his agent people wouldn't have probably even noticed you know that, that kind of stuff probably happens all the time but i think they're looking for a reason to make fun of him <laughs> it's newsworthy you know well you know what it was just a couple of weeks ago when chip kelly himself trying to avoid answering a question about um colin kaepernick fell back on that same rule that, hey, we can't talk to them about football, anything like that. And so maybe, look, maybe they're doing it to make fun of them, but I got to say, it does not give me confidence that this guy is going to um, be able to negotiate a good deal for himself. I'll just be quite honest with you. And, and, And if no other, if nothing else, it's truth to me that even if he doesn't want to pay an agent, he needs to have someone that's very familiar with the process guiding him along the way. Now, I would think that the NFLPA could provide a lot of that kind of guidance, and they, of course, would have known that he couldn't do this. And so I'm wondering if he, he's even involved in the process at all, because if it was me, I probably wouldn't do this at all. Yeah. But if I was going to do it, Every little step I took, I would call and clear it with them first. Because mm-hmm. to me, that, that you give up leverage when you look like you're incompetent. The same yeah. way if you had an agent that looked incompetent, you give up leverage. And so team, there may be some teams that will deal with the guy knowing that, look, this is going to be a long and maybe arduous process because he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's doing it for the first time. He doesn't really have anybody advising him, so you know things could get contentious. I talked about this when we uh, um, had this topic earlier in the season about how GMs a lot are usually a lot more blunt with the agent than they are the player. Yeah, and so now he's going to have to directly hear teams say, "We think you're soft." Yeah, we think soft is fucking shit, and you won't play when you're hurt. And they're going to say those things whether they believe it or not, because they're not in the business of overpaying guys. Well. Most of them are. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they're in the business of trying to get you for as little as they have to pay in return for your services. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I, if nothing else, I hope it's a wake-up call to him that, hey, there's a lot of about this process that you don't really know. And so it might behoove you to at least find somebody who's very familiar with all these rules and regula- regulations to guide you along this path. I, yeah, I still come back to this for me personally. They say, you know, when you represent yourself in court, you got a fool for a lawyer. Yeah. I, 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 I come close to saying the same thing about an agent. And for me, it's about one thing. If somebody screws up your contract negotiations, you want to be able to sue that person for damages. Yeah. So if you do it your damn self, guess what? You're screwed. Yeah. Okay. If you screw, if you mess this up, this you know your, your once in a lifetime opportunity to hit free agency when you're one of the premier left tackles, maybe not a Pro Bowl level guy, but a, a premier level left tackle, and we know how much money those guys can fetch, even with an injury history, 
And if you screw this up, man, you're going to lose so much money. And you're yeah. never going to get it back. So, you know, I just, I, I, I love that he's taking this initiative. And I know that he's a smart guy. But I, it makes me so nervous that he's trying to do this by himself. Yeah, and it's too. It's just the agent. You know, you're uh, you're just plugged into a different network, and an agent could get that message out to all 32 teams in a much more subtle way that you know the public would never, ever, ever find out about. You know what I mean? Because they do it all the time. It's what they do. You know, it's they're connected to it, so you can avoid. Yeah, I just I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I you feel like at some point just either. Either get something done or hire a damn agent or get an advisor or something. But I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting little side story this week that's kind of been dominated by the Super Bowl. And speaking of this, well, before we jump right into the Super Bowl itself, let's go back and talk about the two conference championship games. Because I think some of the stuff we saw in those conference championship games, some of the stuff that you guys have written about, is something that's going to be a big key factor in the game coming up this week. So... Let's start with the NFC Championship. The Panthers just walked all over the Cardinals. Um, and a lot of it had to do with Carolina's running game. So yeah. you broke down Carolina's running game, Danny. Tell us, Give us a little bit of insight into that and specifically kind of how that's going to factor into this matchup against the Broncos. Well, yeah, and they're, they're the most difficult team to prepare for in terms of the running game in the nfl they and i've heard you know p carroll talked about this bruce arians talked about it um you know going all the way back throughout the year probably hear someone say it every week in the press conferences that they're just really hard to uh to prepare for because they have such a diverse and multiple run game like they do they do more things than any team in the nfl does they do a lot of the so-called college stuff where you know they're um like running buck sweeps with a quarterback and uh you know doing a lot of the read option stuff you know end arounds they do all this kind of um unique stuff that a lot of people don't see in the nfl so it's, it's really tough to prepare for but then secondly um you know they they do a really good job of creating these little tweaks to their plays so that it's actually even if you're like even if you know the play is coming, it's still really hard to defend because they do a little tweak here or there where they you know block a different guy or whatever. Uh, this is what happened on that first run in the Seahawks game in the divisional round. Um, Pete Carroll said after the game that they had that all blocked up. They knew exactly what it was, but the, the Panthers had made a little tweak, and that just allowed uh, Jonathan Stewart to break loose. And so that's the kind of stuff they've been doing all year. And you know, they obviously they led the NFL in rushing attempts for a game. So it's like they, that's their foundation. And the the fact that Cam Newton is like a legit runner that's really, really hard to tackle just makes them really, really tough to defend. It's a whole just a whole new dynamic. It's really there. It, it's really actually a unique offense like you cannot, you know, replicate it just because Cam is kind of such a unique player. So um, it was really fun to study. I mean, they, they do some really cool stuff, uh, you know, blocking. They do like pin and pull stuff with their linemen. They do a lot of different, you know, styles of blocking with their linemen. The I, I really like the the touchdown to Ted Ginn where they ran like it looked like it was going to be like a a read option run by Cam and then he flipped it to him and did the end around. I think that kind of stuff is just uh, it, it just makes them really fun to watch. Could they do this without? I mean, is Cam Newton <clears throat> obviously sort of the key to that? I mean, is there can no. you have a run game like that without a player like Cam Newton? No, no. I mean, he's he's the crux of everything. Um, the ability for him to run is like kind of what makes it work so well. And so, um, no, you, there's, that's pretty much why they're the only team in the NFL that does it because no, no one else has a, you know, six foot five, 250 pound guy that <laughs> like run people over and, and, you know, run past you. So no, it's, it's really, you know, it, it, it all revolves around cam, but they also have a lot like, you know, Jonathan Stewart's a really good running back. Tolbert's a really good fullback. Yeah. Um, they've got really good, uh, their receivers are actually really good at blocking. So I don't know. I just I think it all I mean it it kind of permeates their whole offense, the the idea of being tough and, and you know, running and everything and, and they're just man, they just beat up on you. We saw like I mean, we saw that against the Seahawks and the and the Cardinals. Like they just beat up on both both of those teams. And the NFC West is, you know, known for its tough players and, and tough teams, so they just pretty much ran right through them. They remind me a little bit of the Seahawks from a couple of years ago in a lot of ways. Yeah, 
Yeah, same here. I mean, it, it's the same kind of thing, and they're brash and, and um, confident, and, and, you know, I think if people get mad about that. And they have fun doing yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the same stuff you heard about the Seahawks a couple of years ago, you know, the whole Marshawn Lynch thing, the Richard Sherman thing, um, you know, people calling them classless and all this stuff. But um, I think you, it's a similar dynamic now with the Panthers and Cam Newton and everything. So it's uh, it's really – um, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch them though. For sure. Uh, let me ask, so let me ask you, Steven and Danny, I want to get your opinion on this too, but how do you defend something like that? Cause it looks like the Cardinals didn't really have a good answer for it. Well, you know, I'd say the Cardinals actually did some good things in that game. It's just that the, the, the turnovers by their offense ended up yeah. taking them after a while. After a while, they just couldn't keep holding up. But they actually did do some good things. And, and <clears throat> you know, I'm working on a piece right now or, or just finished a piece right now about what I think the Broncos should do to try to uh, defense uh, or at least pass for Cam Newton. And, and I, I recommend some of the stuff that the Cardinals did. I, I think that you want to line up in a 3-4 if you can because it, it's a big deal to cover the nose, I mean, cover the center with the nose tackle or somebody who can act as a nose tackle. And let Malik Jackson and uh, Derek Wolf, if you have guys of that caliber, and most people don't, line up in those three techniques and really get after it. You know, so many times you have to be scared of what Cam can do with his legs. Yeah. You know, you play man-to-man defense, and you leave one of those eight gaps open in front of him, and 15, 20 yards later, you know, he's on the other side of the 50-yard line. So you usually have to be so careful about that. But if you get somebody who can kind of spy him uh, inside there and let those guys go ahead and just wreck shop and let uh, DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller, which most people don't have those two guys on the team either, really go ahead and, and, and burn the corner instead of bull rushing, which is what you normally want to do against a guy like Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. I think that gives you more of a chance of being successful. You line up in 3-4, you also have some advantages against the read option game as well. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to get to the edges when you have some guys who really know how to set the edge in a 3-4, and, and, and you don't have to use as many secondary guys as you normally would have to if you ran a 4-3. So first and foremost, you want to be in a 3-4. Secondly, you, you got to have some monsters up front, and mm-hmm. that's what most people do not have. And that includes your inside linebackers. Look, the Broncos only have one linebacker that weighs as much as Cam as far as inside <laughs> linebackers. All of them give up That's about crazy. 14 in height to Cam Newton. So, you know, those guys better be very good tacklers and they better be very aggressive when they come up to tackle Cam or if he's going to embarrass them. And then you have to have a secondary like the Broncos. Yeah. This is one of those, you know, style make fights kind of games yeah because if you are going to pick a defense personnel wise and even scheme wise that will match up well with the Panthers you would almost have to go with the Broncos because they have this secondary that can can basically go man to man across the board including even with Greg Olsen because their linebackers are pretty good at covering as well hell we saw what Von Miller did on Gronkowski last Mm. week yeah um those guys are so good as well, and that enables you not only to line up in the 3-4, but now get those extra rushes. Rush five a lot of the time, whether it be the nose tackle rushing two or adding a linebacker or adding a safety. And you look back, I went and looked back at the game where uh, a team had the most success actually sacking Cam Newton this year, and that was the Tennessee Titans, believe it or not. They got him down on the ground five times including three in a row and four overall just in the third quarter alone. Well, what they did was lined up in a 3-4, and they rushed five a lot. Yeah. And so they obviously didn't have the kind of secondary that the Broncos possessed. So he was still able to make some plays in the passing game. But guess what? That game went into the fourth quarter with the Panthers only up seven points. You know, I think that's one of those games where we kind of just yada, yada, yada it throughout the season. Yeah. But um, they, the, the, I think the Panthers only had 17 points going into 
the fourth quarter and only ended up with 27 after that. And this is a Titans team that only won three games this year. Yeah. So it's not exactly like you can't stop them. It's just that you're going to need your offense to help you as well. It, it, you know, if, if Peyton Manning goes out there and turns the football over, it, it's going to get ugly fast. Yeah. If they can keep that game close where, you know, Cam Newton and, and, and the rest of his offense can't just run out the clock, things might get mighty interesting in the fourth quarter. Now, Stephen, you mentioned something to me earlier this week that I thought was kind of interesting, and it's that Peyton Manning has really been, since he came back in as the Broncos' starting quarterback at the end of the season and into the playoffs here, he's played a lot better than he did at the beginning of the season. Now, not to confuse him with Peyton Manning of 2013 when he was throwing a touchdown on every other pass, but this is a, this is a better Peyton Manning than the guy we saw throwing interceptions in September. Well, at the very least, he isn't turning over the football. He's yeah. making a lot better decisions with the football in his hands. And that in and of itself, you know, is going to, to help his team win. Um, you look at the games where, you know, the, the Chiefs game, the second Chiefs game, is another game I watched to see maybe how the Broncos in the past have rushed mobile quarterbacks. But I ended up being so distracted by all the damn interceptions Peyton threw in that game. And, and and you look at the losses and, and why he you know I think they only had one loss with, with him as a starting quarterback but 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 they came so close to losing all those games only because he was god awful yeah so comparatively now I'm not saying that he's you know uh, the Peyton Manning we remember from his prime when he was indoors uh, with the Colts on the way to that Super Bowl I'm saying that he's playing a lot better football. He's generally uh, on target. Yes, he skips a few balls here and there, throws a few ducks, but he threw way fewer ducks than Tom Brady the other day. And But only one of those guys was actually catching the jokes, of course, because everybody has kind of uh, <laughs> uh, ridden Peyton off. But that's really the only reason why I picked uh, the Broncos to win last week. I wasn't doing it flippantly or yeah. just being a contrarian. I was all set to pick. Uh, the Patriots in that game, and I went back and watched the film of, of, of the Broncos' offense against the Steelers. And I just kept seeing all these balls that were on target. A lot of drops, but the passes were on target. If these guys were catching the football that week, I mean, they didn't lit up the scoreboard. Yeah. And so, went to this game against the Patriots, and I didn't really see, I thought the Patriots had a pretty good defense, but I didn't think they were world beaters by any means. And yes, you know, he misses uh, a couple, I think, I, I would say he missed the one in the end zone, or the two of them, they were the same route, mm-hmm. uh, where he's trying to get a guy out the scene and misses them in the end zone. But those two touchdown passes were damned impressive. Uh, I mean, the, the, the second one to Daniels, the fade route, I just knew there was no way that ball was going to be on target. But it was perfect. Like, <laughs> you couldn't have thrown it any better. Yeah. And a lot of his passes were like that. On Sunday, even the ones that, that didn't necessarily end up being completions, you know, mm-hmm. Demarius Thomas is always good for a few drops. Uh, a couple other times, uh, the, the Patriots made plays on the football, which they're allowed to do. But if you look and see where those footballs are, I, look, I went back and watched the, the one play to Demarius Thomas where he's trying to beat the safety in, like, cover two. And Demarius Thomas just jumped up with one hand, and it looked like the ball was way off target. But the yeah. ball actually hit his hand, right? Like, I, I didn't realize that at first. But yeah. basically, the ball right there, it, if he puts two hands up, he might actually catch it. So that even that pass wasn't really as off-target as I thought when watching the game live. And so when you go back and watch this film, again, he's not setting the world on fire. Right. And this isn't, you know, the Peyton Manning that was breaking uh, uh, the, 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 the touchdown record for a season. But he is definitely not the Peyton Manning we saw earlier in the season either. He, he's a guy right now who's maybe a game manager, but you can definitely win with him with that defense on the other side of the football. Yeah. Well, and he's got the brains. To, I mean, you know, he still has that. You know, you, you still you, – what he can do at the line, even if he's not that Peyton Manning of old, what he can do against the defense and get his team set up is always an interesting thing to watch too because, you know, he can – outthink a lot of quarterbacks that are better than him at this point in his career. So it's kind of interesting to always 
to see that. I was just looking back at some of that. They only beat the Browns by three points in, in a game in October because he threw three interceptions at it. But they've come a long way since then. All right, Super Bowl. Other what? What else? I mean, obviously the quarterbacks are getting a lot of talk. Some of it, some of it is even worth listening to, which <laughs> is of course um, a veiled reference at all the hot takery involving Cam Newton on the internet right now. But um, what else are we not talking about? Maybe that. What are what are some of the players or matchups we're not talking about as much as maybe we should be with the Super Bowl? Danny. Well, um, that's a good question. I, I mean, obviously, I was just studying the the run game. I think, I, like, the run game versus the Broncos' pass rush, I think, is going to be a big deal. And that's kind of what I was talking about in my piece. It's just, I think that when you when you see the Broncos or when you see the Broncos hit uh, Tom Brady twenty times, and I saw a couple of people tweeting about how that was maybe even a low number, uh-huh. um, like. You to me that's like the biggest that's like the story of the game right like what can what can the Panthers do against that pass rush because they're just they were just so dominant Von Miller Derek Wolf um, like Jackson you know down the line obviously Demarcus Ware um, but I think running at that is going to be a good way to mitigate it and this is this goes back to what Steve was saying it's like styles make fights you know it's like uh, both of these teams feel really like built to beat each other but they're both so good that it, it's just such a uh, interesting matchup. So I think, you know, the one way the Panthers can mitigate that pass rush is just to run at them. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot. And so to me, that was the big thing. Um, trying to think of, I'm just looking down the rosters here in, in terms of like actual individual matchups. Um, I mean, I obviously, you know, the, the Panthers uh, receivers have kind of been, made fun of all year or whatever and 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 uh, the Broncos probably have one of the best secondaries in the NFL if not the best secondaries secondary in the NFL um so that's going to be an interesting thing if if to see if the Broncos can shut down the Panthers pass game pretty much you know yeah um and, and make them one-dimensional they could still win as a one-dimensional run team but um I mean Kim's been passing the ball really well too obviously so that's gonna be really interesting to see um and then obviously you know Greg Olson, kind of up the up the seam, is always a, a big matchup. He was kind of the number one target for Newton this year, and you know we can we saw what what Denver did last week with Gronk, and I think I was looking it up before they they're like fourth or fifth against tight ends all year, so they're still really good at defending tight ends too. So um, yeah, it's it just seems like they're really like well built to to defend each other and to beat each other. So. Um, I think it's one of the better Super Bowl matchups in that I can remember. Yeah, it really is a pretty exciting game. I mean, this is the the first game. I mean, always kind of excited for the Super Bowl, but like this game's really. I mean, I think we're getting one of the best games we could have hoped for out of it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't I always did. kind of pan out that way, but. I mean, the last couple of have looked really good on paper too, and ended up. You know, the 2013 was a blowout, and last year was a really, really good game. Yeah, but this this game to me just is exciting. I just think it's going to be a really fun one to watch. But Steven, you look at this game, you know, what, what are some, we've talked about some of the, the obvious elements and what stands out to you or what is maybe one of the, one of the aspects beyond that, that you're kind of excited about here. Well, um, it kind of goes back to the same uh, conversation that, that Danny and I had last week about the Cardinals uh, and their process of winning against uh the, the, the Panthers and what they had to do on offense was exploit Robert McClain. And and they did that to a certain extent. Like uh, any success they had in the passing game was almost always yeah. on number 27 for the Panthers. It was just kind of like comical after a while. Um, but they couldn't get their quarterback to get his head out of his ass long enough for them to actually su- sustain drives and, and score a touchdown. But uh, again, that guy is vulnerable and you can get, you can make money off of him. And so I think it's probably obvious that Josh Norman is going to be on Demarius Thomas as much as he can. I just don't see things going well for Robert McClain against Emmanuel Sanders. And look, even if Emmanuel Sanders is in the slot, I think he has a favorable matchup 
against Cortland Finnegan. And and, and look, uh, the, the the Panthers have something that most teams decidedly d- did not have, and that is a wheel linebacker that can walk out there and cover most slot wide receivers, like without any help. Thomas Davis yeah. was just so fast and quick, you can do so many things with him. And that meant that you wouldn't have to switch out to nickel a lot uh, unless you just wanted to. Uh, you can still be strong against the run, even if they tried to straighten you out, and still be fine with Thomas Davis uh, uh, covering the guy. And now we don't know what Thomas Davis' status is actually going to be for this game. So, again, I, I love Cam Newton and everything that offense has done. I, I really think they're going to kind of, you know, run up against uh, uh, maybe some kryptonite with, with the way the Broncos' uh, defense <laughs> is set up. And so they really are going to need, maybe more so than it, in any other game this season, to be able to rely on their defense. And I'm not sure that the Panthers' defense, you know, with this current health and with this current secondary, is going to be able to stand up against Peyton Manning and that, that Broncos offense. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, that's another story, too, that was kind of uh, we were talking a lot about earlier in the week because it happened in the game on Sunday. But Thomas, I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, Thomas Davis says he's going to play with his fractured forearm. But, you know, he may very well play, but that's not the kind of thing that's going to leave you, you know, just feeling exactly 100% on the field. And those Panthers linebackers, man, they've been key to that. I mean, they have a lot of talent across the board on that defense. Don't get me wrong, but... Like him, Keekly, I mean, that's sort of, you know, that's rare kind of talent to have back there at linebacker. And now you're going to have one part of that, you know, coming in with a broken wing, literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much does that affect them? It's a good question. I mean, it could be big, obviously, but they have uh, Shaq Thompson. Yeah. Who can kind of fill in potentially. But, but yeah, I mean that's a big deal. And he's like an emotional leader on the field, you know? Um, so depending on how he is and, and can he tackle with his, with his arm, you know, like, is he going to be one armed essentially? Yeah, I that's guess that'd be my question. Yeah, I mean, that's, I remember that's the biggest, yeah. biggest, you know, I don't want to cut you cut in, but, but that know. really is my biggest concern is that, you know, whether it's a pain threshold or whether it's just not, structurally sound in that little bit of time. I just can't see him being as good a tackler as he's been in the past. And he's been a phenomenal tackler. Before. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the key too. I mean, you know, that's what keeps those three yard runs from turning into 10 yard runs. Right. And that they've tackled that they do tackle so well, but I don't know. That'll be an interesting story to watch in the lead up to the game, how well he can do that. And we'll find out more, Next week, when they get into, they come into town, I think Sunday, Sunday night, they get into to the San Francisco area, the Bay Area, and then Media Day is now. I just like I just realized this this week. Well, I mean, I guess I knew, but it just kind of hit me again. Was that Media Day is not on Tuesday afternoon? It's now on Monday night. It actually starts at eight o'clock Eastern time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the Super Bowl, and it's called Super Bowl kickoff as opposed to Media Day. But I'm sure. Yeah. It'll, still have the same great spectacle that we're used to for media day. <laughs> yep. But no Marshawn Lynch. Bummer. <laughs> All right. One other hot potato topic. And we talked about this a little bit before the show. And it's just sort of the unavoidable elephant in the room. Um, it manifested itself in the most absurd way possible today. And in, in, in a way that only, um, I guess, is it Colin Cowherd that's on Fox now? Do I have the right, or is it Rick Riley or somebody like that? I don't remember. Who, <laughs> one of those idiots, one of those kind of junior Skip Baylesses, is Cam like Trump? <laughs> I mean. That just oh, sounds like a, a Colin uh, uh, Cowherd special. And by <laughs> special, I mean, uh, yeah, some bullshit. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know. Yeah, it I was don't even Calvary. know how you respond to that. Uh, how do you even, after you stop laughing, that is, how, how do you even try to respond to that? It's a, an absurd question. It's just the dumbest thing. And, like, I hate, I, like, well, the scary thing about this is, is we're not even, you know, halfway through where we're halfway to where we're going to be next week with the hot takes. 
And every time, the most amazing thing is like with Cam, like you think you've heard all the hot takes that people can come up with, but lo and behold, people will find even more hot takes to latch onto with Cam Newton. Why is that? You know, he had a really interesting comment yesterday. I think it was prescient. It gets right to the heart of the matter. I'm an African-American quarterback, and that may scare a lot of people because they haven't seen nothing that they can compare to me. Yeah, he finally... He, it's it's cool that he came out and said it, you know? Yeah, and of course, you know, and then it was followed by, is Cam Trump? <laughs> yeah. That's a great, that's is a that, great reaction. Is this why Cam, I mean, is, is I mean, he's right. I mean, I, you know, am I, am I wrong in saying he's right? It seems like he gets a level of shit that another, a white quarterback in the same situation wouldn't get. Or even right. if it's, even if you take the race out of it, there's still the, uh, you know, because he has fun playing the game. And for some reason, even going People back to that. what we talked about with the Pro Bowl. Yeah, there's this sometimes there's somehow there's this mentality that, you know, you shouldn't have fun doing this. Right. <laughs> Respect the game. You know, um, I would say that he was irrefutably correct in, in everything that he said in, in that uh, interview or statement or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, and and really, it, it just makes sense uh, when you put it all together. We, we already talked about the fact that um, we haven't seen a guy of his physical stature, really. Yeah. 6'5", uh, 250 pounds, chiseled. And, and, you know, he looks a lot more like a defensive end than a quarterback. And so you combine that with a guy who also has the athletic ability of some defensive backs and, and now has added to his repertoire an arm that looks pretty good compared to the rest of the elite in the NFL, Yeah, something that a lot of people never thought was going to happen. Here's Cam Newton with the second-highest touchdown uh, total this year as far as throwing, and I might add the second-highest uh, number of rushing touchdowns as well in the regular season. And people fear the unknown. He's he, When he said this, he said this like in the spring, remember? And he caught some shit for that too when he said they've never seen anybody like me before. Yeah. And it was an obviously true statement. But people just, like he said, they don't want to hear that. No. And then when you sprinkle it in there, <laughs> we're just going to sprinkle it in there, the fact that he's a black quarterback with those dimensions and with that kind of athletic ability, and we know the history of this league that we know the history of the NFL. Warren Moon isn't that much older than me. And he was a first round talent that had to go to to the CFL because there was a time not so long ago where it was frowned upon to let a a black guy play quarterback. Yeah. Quite, quite literally. There's no opinion in that. That's a fact. Yeah. And so you combine that. And then I think he's just obviously being honest and truthful. He's not calling everybody racist. You know, he's not saying uh, that any of the other, like, legitimate criticizes of his game are invalid. He's talking about those people who see a a guy who runs over linebackers on a regular basis, a guy who jumps over the pile at the goal line is one of probably the best goal line weapons we've ever seen. Yeah. As blue collar of a quarterback as we've ever seen, and I'd include uh, Brett Favre and whoever your favorite is too. One of the most blue collar quarterbacks we've ever seen. Yeah. And yet they can't embrace that just because he smiles or just because he dances. Yeah. And, and I said this to uh, 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 someone else earlier today. I don't have a problem with somebody saying he's not a good passer. At this point, I would disagree with them and point out why. But I've never seen anybody call Aaron Rodgers a thug because he did the discount double check. And yeah. so therein lies the double standard. Yeah, and, and even with Gronk, I mean, everybody, you know, it's funny. Gronk stuff's funny, but nobody gets upset. You don't, nobody, it just doesn't engender the same kind of, and I know he's not a quarterback, so it's a little different, but it just doesn't engender the same sort of, you know, it, the old lady that was upset about Cam, quote unquote, gyrating his gyrating hips or whatever. It's like, well, 
I haven't seen too many letters to the editor complaining about Rob Gronkowski, who literally gyrates his hips <laughs> in the end zone. And is, you know, it, it's just. It's so it's crazy though that I mean I mean it's not it's sad it, it should be absurd to us but it's not that this is 2006 and this is still you know the way a lot of people look at the game and the players within the game but it's you know it, it's just unfortunate because you just it it makes it makes it less fun. And, and I think that's the bottom line that people forget about this. It's like, this is fun. We do this because it's fun. I mean, yeah, this we is get an paid. entertainment yeah. industry. <laughs> we get paid for what we do. And that's one thing, but it's still like, you know, you didn't start watching football because you were a kid and somebody put a gun to your head and said, listen, you need to do this. I'm going to make you, you know what I mean? It's right. You were all here because we have enjoyed the sport one way or another. And it's just, you know, I don't know, man. It's sad that it does that, and then it sucks because that'll be. I hope it doesn't. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it won't. Maybe we won't let it get carried away next week with the hot takery. But I'm not. I wouldn't bet on that happening. Right. Because it's too well, easy. You know, and when you talk about hell to a double standard, just imagine if they lose. Yeah. Right. It won't even matter if Cam has the game of his life. If they lose that game, there are people right now already writing up uh, their I knew it, Cam Newton is really a loser takes yeah. as we speak, right? And, and it's just the nature of, of how this goes. I just love the fact, the, the thing I love the most about what he said yesterday is that he still can stay true to his roots. Like he's heard all this bullshit thrown at him over the years, but it hasn't cowed him at all. Yeah, He still goes out there and plays exactly the same way, even though everybody said, oh, man, he's going to end up getting hurt. And he's progressed and got better as a passer, even though people said he would never do that. Yeah, And so he stayed true to his roots, kept smiling, kept celebrating, and really doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks. And I just think that is the greatest thing in the world, considering what we've actually seen thrown at him. Yeah. Well, and even going back, I didn't follow his career as closely when he was in in college at Auburn. But, I mean, I, I do remember because I was pretty involved. It was the first time I ever went to the Combine was in 2011 when he was there and that entertainer remark that he made and what a what a fury that caused with people. Like, how dare he say that? I can't believe he said that. And Peter King wrote all that <laughs> stuff about, like, oh, this, you know, NFL execs aren't going to like what Cam Newton has to say and and then even going on with that theme, you had King a few years later talking about the maturation of Cam Newton because now he's willing to talk to me and that sort of, you know, calling him out because he didn't have time for an interview for him. It just, you know, the the ridiculousness around that and the shit that people were throwing out there in 2011 uh, in the lead up to the draft, not just with the entertainer remark, but remember that's where you had that – infamous nolan naraki scouting report with what was the used to be pro football weekly where it was like his smile is disingenuous yep and just like the stupidity of stuff like that and don't don't forget um the the little gruden's uh school clip they they tried to make him look bad because he uh, answered a question honestly yeah uh gruden asked him about you know calling a play well at auburn they had like one word for a play so if if you then after he's already told you that they don't have long wordy names for their plays and you ask them for a long wordy play then of course they're gonna look at you like you're fucking stupid yeah but everybody you know took that clip and ran with oh he's dumb he doesn't know what he's doing yeah it's just so much bullshit and and the thing to me was look i'm not a fucking Auburn, auburn fan at all I come from, I'm late from Tennessee. Grew up in Memphis. <laughs> Fuck Auburn, right? <laughs> but you watched that team that year, and it was clear that this kid was special. And yeah. I just couldn't, well, I could understand, but I, I just, it, it was just amazing to me that so many people would, would just avert their eyes, so to speak, when talking about this kid, because you couldn't watch and see the kind of things that he was doing and just not be impressed. I just don't believe that. And and the same goes to this year. I said it a long time ago. Anybody who's still, you know, saying this bullshit about Cam can't throw, 
obviously aren't watching the game. If you watch the game this year, he put all that shit to bed. Okay. Yeah. So, but you still have people sight unseen saying the same exact bullshit that they've been saying over the years. They don't notice any of his evolution of his game. They didn't notice it last year, even though he did get better. He just was, was injured the early part of the season. And so it, it's just, man, this, this guy is such a unique talent. You would think everybody would kind of be exalting him right now because truly we've never seen anything like this. And we're witnessing history. It's not like he's leading some kind of revolution. I haven't seen any other guys built like him that can play like him coming through the pipeline. I don't know about y'all. This is a singularly talent, talented guy that we may never see again. No. And it's just a shame that some people will never, ever appreciate it. I mean, yeah. and you hear people talk about, too, I mean, like Spencer. I've heard Spencer say this. Just that, you know, these are lifelong college people that watch college football religiously. And, like, never seen any quarterback in college football like Cam Newton, play like Cam Newton. It just, it just nothing like that. And I, you know, I mean... Same for the NFL, and not that I have, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm old, but I'm not that old, but it's just like there's, I I can't remember watching any player like Cam Newton. It seems no like way. everybody, it, it seems like everyone needs a precedent for them to accept someone as like being really good, right? Like, and it's what, kind of what Cam said, like, you know, they haven't seen me, they haven't seen someone with my skill set, so it scares them. It's like, there's no comparison for Cam in history, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so it just, like, freaks people out. Like, they don't know. They're unwilling to accept the fact that he's playing, like, amazing football this year and, and has been for a couple of years um, just because there's no, like, precedent for him in history. Oh, it's they think it's, like, uh, you know, an outlier or whatever. He's going to – or he's just going to fade or whatever. It's yeah. just not real. But I mean, he just—I don't know. I, I I agree. It's like it's crazy that we can't just celebrate what he's done. Yeah. It's, you know, everyone's kind of looking for a reason to, um, you know, just overlook everything that he's done. Well, I think it's always you know people always try to do that with the boxes with quarterbacks too. I mean, besides just the dog whistles and other shit you hear in the conversation too, there's always that. You know, are you a running quarterback? Or are you a pocket passer? Right. Well, you can be both. It's quite possible that you could be both. Not the everybody sort of wants to put put Cam or any Russell Wilson. We saw that we've seen it with Russell Wilson. I know we've had that conversation with mm-hmm. Teddy Bridgewater. You know anybody like that? Michael Vick, Geno Smith. Anybody is either sort of a, a a one. You know, it's there's a box that has to be checked with a quarterback, and heaven forbid that they fit in more than one category like that. But. That's the way it is. I'm sure we will have a lot more uh, cam takes to get through. And, and like you said, Stephen, just wait till after the game and see what people are saying. That's where it really could get interesting. Well, guys, um, anything? Did we miss anything? I know there's a lot to talk about, and we'll be back again next week to talk some more. But Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. That's, that's, a a good, big, uh... that's a meaty football sandwich we're providing folks today. All right, guys, it's been it's been real. It's been a good one, and uh, we'll do it again next week. All Sounds righty. Good. Can't wait.